Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod, a new conversation about fan engagement. Don't forget you can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join for exclusive member services and benefits. This stuff is the teacher. 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 Welcome to episode 30 of the Fan Engagement Pod. This episode is a chat with Fiona Green, director and co-founder of Winners, a technology-neutral provider of services that helps sports rights owners increase revenue, participation and engagement. Fiona is an expert in the field of data and is absolutely passionate about getting people to understand the centrality of it to communicate, increase revenue, to listen and converse with fans for the whole club it's an area i don't know enough about personally speaking so i was glad to get her on she talks about where clubs have struggled for various reasons to incorporate data into their day-to-day and why they absolutely should she's a real expert in the field and anyone who wants to know how to do it right at a minimum needs to read her book or even get on the phone and book a call her book winning with data is being republished in march with a training course as part of it but if you can't wait contact her now and she'll dispatch a free copy of the existing edition don't forget, we've got 29 other episodes, including the new Baz Chat, where we take a particular look at activations, sponsorships and partnerships between brands and rights holders with a real expert in the field, Baz Schneider. A new episode is out this Thursday, the 28th of January, and every last Thursday of every month. Listen via the usual channels and join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. We met over in Warsaw when there was a... Um... Yeah conference didn't we and we broke we spoke briefly not not very long at all um and i was saying off air that yours is an area that whilst personally i haven't had a lot of involvement in um i've always known its importance but i also have always had a concern that people tend to chase things and then miss the importance of this and don't integrate it and and what i what what i'm interested in is how you make data and real relationships how do you join those two things together what do you you know how does that work in the real world so that you're not just counting and this isn't just about numbers actually it's insight isn't it into real people in the end yeah absolutely um and you just said it's not about numbers the reality is when it comes to the world of data we tend to use numbers it's a you know we tend to use numbers as a formula, as a technology to actually create those insights. But yeah, absolutely, this day and age, anyone launching apps, posting content, thinking about messaging through any digital channels cannot do it with the same level of efficiency and effectiveness unless they understand the role of data. It doesn't mean that everybody has to be a data practitioner. Within the world of uh, CRM and data, the world that which we live in, getting the right message to the right person at the right time, there are lots of different skills needed. When it comes to actually producing the data or manipulating the data, that tends to be a data scientist or a data analyst. When it comes to interpreting that data, creating those actionable insights, that tends to be somebody more in the consultative role, the person who's actually got to, to produce a result. 
when it comes to actually using the data points to get that message to the right person, then that's a marketing manager, a campaign manager. So there's lots of different roles, lots of different areas of usage of data. And unfortunately, it's not one size fits all. But the key statement is, if you want to get a better return on investment, you want to improve your engagement, increase revenue, sell more sponsorships, increase participation, it's very difficult to do that these days without having data play a role in it somewhere. So that's good. Do you find... Um... Do you find then that is, is this a constant process of education then for you? Is it do you find that a lot of people really don't appreciate um, that it isn't just a matter of um, running a database and pumping out messages that actually it's quite often about finessing and honing who, what, um, when all those things really matter. Like the, just for instance, the time this you know, very practical thing. The time you send something matters, um, not, you know, not merely the message or whether you're getting it to the person or at least into their inbox, for example, it's email. Do you find that a lot of people, go on, sorry. Yeah, we use the term right message, right person, right time and right platform. So it's all those things you need to know. Who is the person you're sending it to? What's the right time? What's the right platform? What's the right wording? But in terms of your bigger question at the start, which was, do we find a lot of people don't understand this or realise the importance? Um, the, there's a massive shortage of data skills, not just in the sports industry, but in the world. You know, we've got reports from 2019 and 2020 from the European Commission citing how many, um, how much, how much shortage of data skills there are, how many jobs were left unfulfilled that had the term data in the title. So this is, there's a massive shortage of data skills actually, but when it comes to also an awareness of or understanding how data can help you improve revenue and engagement participation, yes, of course, there's a shortage in that as well. And thankfully, we're developing at a lot much faster pace. You see far more rights owners now advertising for roles that have take data in the title for nothing more. So we're definitely improving. Um, but yes, clearly there's a shortage, but that's not limited to the sports industry. It's limited to industry. And that's why, you know, analytics courses at universities are doing so well and are oversubscribed. It's why when as we launched our own CRM and analytics course for the sports industry a couple of weeks ago because there's just such a shortage of awareness and knowledge and indeed practical usage to demonstrate the case studies so 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 why then is that the case after you know this isn't it isn't like we're talking in you know 2011 or something like that this is 2020 right where you would i suppose an outsider would think um you know, would think that that, if not solved, then this would be something we now, you know, it would be duh. Well, of course, data matters. And of course, you have um, analysts and you have people who interpret and you have people who then use that to finesse messaging and all those kinds of things. You know, that is it. Let's take the term integrated. That's a good word. That, that, that data and, and how it's done. And we just we, let's just talk about sport and football clubs, uh, sports clubs in that sense um well no let's just talk about it generally um but you know why is it then that it's taken so long because this is not a new thing this is not something is this just you know you're saying it, this happens across europe and presumably the world um uh, why is that is that something to do with um is it something to do with a model of 
you know, the, the, the business model? Is it something to do with? Uh... It's, a combination, it's a combination of factors, um, Kevin, and, and you're a case in point. One of the, you know, it's really hard for people to change the way they operate and the way they think. So you've been in business, what, 20 or 30 years? Data only became a thing to you personally in the last, I don't know, five or 10 years. So you've spent half your career operating in a, a specific way. We're now trying to get you to operate in another way. And it's hard to change. People don't like change. They're afraid of change. So that's one factor. People don't like to change. And you see that because new new businesses, tech startups, Google, Amazon, et cetera, they don't have a problem changing. They've never had to change because data was always a thing in their lifetime. But you look at football clubs, for example, you know, some of our football clubs have been around 150 years and they've been built on the same principles. And, you know, unfortunately, in the sports industry, we've had a bit of an attitude, you know, build the stadiums and they will come. Many, many things are challenging that view now, not least not least the pandemic we're currently going through, but even before the pandemic, just the fact that people now have more choice. You know, when, when you think about your choices when you were 12 years old, they were probably limited to four TV channels. We didn't even have an internet yet. Now look at how much choice our fans have, not just for what sport to watch, but how to watch it. So want to do three things at once sitting in front of a 90 minute match on a tv screen or even attending a match for 90 minutes is not what we do anymore if we go to a match if we watch a tv screen we're simultaneously playing with our apps we're going on facebook we're going on youtube so you know there's the fact that businesses or indeed individuals are slow to change there's the fact that consumers want more and on top of all of that generally speaking most sports rights owners still operate as very lean businesses, with the exception of those elite rights owners that perhaps have a much um, deeper budget. In, in all the other organisations, you've got one person doing three jobs. I still come across marketing managers or media managers or communications managers. And when I ask them how they choose what to post on their social channels or their websites, they say, well, it depends what's going on at the time. They don't say it depends what the data tells me. It depends what our fans want to hear about. It's what's going on in our world, because that's the way we've been brought up to think. Those of us who are older than 30 years old, we've been brought up in a different way. For those of us under 30 years of old, thank goodness, data and digital has always been present. OK, that's a good. There's a, two good things in there. There's the it's it, it's. It's, I suppose, reassuring to hear someone else talk about the, I think, especially in football, um, uh, the build it and they will come attitude. Um, that's that's something because I, because football is so dominant. Um, and, you know, we all know that when this horrible crisis we're in the middle of or this particular crisis we're in the middle of, not the, not the next one that's coming down the road. But when that crisis finally abates and, and fans are more than just a thousand in a or two thousand in a stadium but you know actually filling stadiums again um you know this that, that sorry that that will happen in football that that that, that the stadium stadium will be full again there isn't i don't see some mass migration off to esports i think this has probably made people that i'm sure it's an area of interest but you know so it just kind of again underscores that point that football sort of doesn't have to work for it doesn't have to it um... does it does kevin it well, does, no, no, kevin. What... yeah sorry go on go on 
You just said stadium will be full again. How many stadium in the world or even in England are actually full to capacity at a weekend? I take, I take your point. What it's more, I mean, those are issues that those those are more to do with. What, what I mean is, is that they can sustain professional clubs. You know, someone yeah. like Rochdale has very rarely since the 1960s or 70s, well, 1960s probably, filled filled um, uh, its, its stadium, right? It's more that they can actually sustain a professional football club. But they team. don't sustain a professional football club by generating revenues out of their assets. Most football clubs are sustained because of the bank balances yeah. of their owners and their shareholders. Well, no, and, let's, and let's also add on top of that, um, the broadcast deal, when you get a slug of money, as much as it's much less further down, you're getting a slug of money every year just for turning up. That's probably something that's going to make you a little bit less keen on on sweating the asset. As it Kevin, were. I di Kevin, I disagree because, for example, you look at Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, they're confident that they will pretty much always get the Premier League revenues that are, you know, the key that are significant but the, the more their Premier League revenues or TV revenues go up the more ambitious the clubs become you know if, if you'd have if you'd have thought that 10 years ago Man United would have the turnover they have now fantastic but I can tell you now Man United are trying to generate more and more and more and more no I know I think there's a possibly tiny misunderstanding of what I was saying there what I was saying was that when at the start of the season you're handed um, cash, we were talking about the build it and they will come attitude that it yeah. undoubtedly exists. That, that, that when you're handed a slug of money at the beginning of every season, every time you put a game on, there's a facility fee and all those sorts of things. That, that, that means it, that is, that is a, that is probably going to, um, you know, that must have some impact on the, on the attitude towards um generating income it's not, i mean you know. i i i look you know of course the monies the tv monies are important but you know for 99 percent of clubs they're not well i can't even imagine tv revenues covering a club's operating costs no, no they're gonna not. have to get no. revenues yeah by the way yeah. And by the way, the use of data has a massive impact on TV revenues. Our utopian scenario for our clients, or indeed for all rights owners, is that one day they can go direct to consumer. Okay, They can take their fan base, whether it's global or national, whether it's 1,000, 100,000 or 100 million. And if they have the ability to go direct to consumer because they've developed their approach to data so well, they might never choose to go direct to consumer because they don't need to because of the, you know, Amazon and Facebook and Twitter and BT Sports and Sky Sports. But how much stronger does their negotiating position become if when they sit in front of somebody that they need to negotiate their TV rights with and they can say, well, hold on, you can only access 20, I can access 200 and they're my fans. So surely I'm better off doing it myself. Yeah. So actually, when it comes to TV revenue, we, we say our vision for five years from now or for five years from starting point is that a rights owner can actually use their access to data to improve and strengthen their negotiating position when it comes to their TV rights. I, I, I totally agree with all of this. I was more talking about the reality of, of the complacent the issue of complacency that you mentioned uh, yeah the complacency i think the complacency for a lot of people is um is there's a lot of fear out there um 
there's a lot of fear out there, Kevin, fear about what does data actually mean? And, and again, going back to our generation, there's a lot of people of our generation in senior management positions who still can't talk about this stuff, yeah? So there's a fear there. They might have teams of people doing it for them, but they probably don't really still understand it. They're a little bit afraid of it. So we see that reasons for complacency are fear and lack of understanding. There's also a concern about cost. Unfortunately, when you talk data, you've got to talk technology. Our attitude is technology should be an enabler, not a driver. But unfortunately, people with less awareness than we have, because obviously we do it 24 seven, so you'd expect us to, to understand this stuff. But people with less awareness than us think it's all about buying technology. And that message is unfortunately compounded by the technology salespeople who say, we've got a magic bullet, buy our tech and you'll make it happen. That is not the case at all. So there's fear. There's a concern about budget thinking you've got to invest in big tech versus our message, which is learn to use the tech you've got better. And if you do need better tech, start with the start with a, an approach to quick wins that will demonstrate how you can make a difference how you can make more money or increase engagement if you're using tech so there's you know those two factors and coming back to just the fact that we've got incredibly lean environments with a shortage of data skills there are just so many factors there that prevent many rights owners from progressing at the pace that they could be or should be but we also see signs of movement. As I mentioned earlier, lots of rights owners now advertising um, roles that have data in their, in their title or, or have, have data within their role. Do you know the fascinating thing, Kevin? Rights owners have been using data for the performance of sport for years. You think even the lowest level professional sports team will be using something like Prozone and they will have an analyst figuring out how to get their athletes to perform better, to run faster, to recover quicker, to shoot from further away. Where but does that come from, Fiona, then? Why does that, why does it happen? Is it, again, the point of football clubs will only spend money or more? I mean, it's a slight extension of that, but essentially they'll only ever spend it on the playing side. Some people will say that. That's one no, of them. You absolutely they have to be forced to invest in stadia, yeah. you know, when yeah. they're falling to bits. They, ha they, ha they kind of had to be forced to invest in... In, in, in an analysis of their playing side, kind of because people are Arsene Wenger particularly, but lots of other, you know, other people came in with different perspectives. So, so okay, so, you know, this, this is a problem, you know, conservative, it's a conservative industry anyway, a small C conservative industry, I find, doesn't particularly embrace change very quickly. Um, the lean thing, it's something I'm really interested in because, um, and you, you've come back to that a couple of, couple of times, which is good because I noted it down and I wanted to come back to it myself. I have conversations with people uh, who kind of make the point that, well, it's all well and good if you've got the resources to do it, but I can't possibly do X. And, you know, in this case, for example, it might be on, it might be on forms of online engagement. Um, and my response to that is always, well, that depends on what your priority is, A, and B, it also depends on how you do it, because there might be ways of doing it that don't require you to have a dedicated member of staff interaction. You know, you can you can say have let's just say on a practical level of online engagement an online an online channel to engage with fans, you know, to converse with them and listen to them, if you like. Um, 
you could do that by having a day in the week where you take questions, for example. That's a very practical way of addressing a lack of resource. So, so you know, in terms of what you do, let's say I'm a club that's got a media officer and I'm put upon. Um, I have demands everywhere, people pulling me all over the place. I get jagged, dragged into marketing. I get dragged into external communications. I have to do some of the fan related communications. Where does... What, where do the existing tools, how would you use existing tools to help that person to manage all those areas? Yeah, go on, please. Go on, Fiona. Your, your first question was why has performance data been so prevalent in, our, in, in clubs, for example, football clubs, but not business data? There's a number of different answers to that. But firstly, you're right. The focus is on the core product, which has traditionally been the team. But these days, rights owners, particularly football clubs, are also media providers. They're media content generators, yeah? The team's a content generator. So we need to take the same attitude to making sure that content is used in the right way, in the same way that we're using data to ensure that the teams are performing right. And of course, I don't know if you saw Brad Pitt's Moneyball, 1984, Billy Bean, um, getting the Oakland A's off the back of nothing no resources, limited transfer fees um, to become a championship winning side. So why? I think it's because, as you mentioned, it's always been the product. The focus has always been on the product, which is the team. Nowadays, the, the team is also a content generator. So the product has also become content. Your second question about how can we get clubs and teams to um, operate on their lean environments with the existing technology? As you mentioned, what's your objective? We've got to figure out what are the things you're trying to achieve and how can we quickly demonstrate how to achieve them using a CRM and data driven approach? So we use the term quick wins to say, what is the stuff you can do that will move the needle on the dial and get them and generate the most impact so that, for example, your boss will think about giving you greater resource? A classic example of that, you've already mentioned email once during this discussion. Thankfully, by now, 99% of rights owners are using email marketing. Those 1% that aren't should really jump onto this and, and get moving as quickly as possible. But there's a difference between sending emails to sending emails as part of an overarching strategy that uses best practice. So the first thing we do is ensure that if somebody says, I need to sell more tickets, we'd find out if they're using email marketing to sell tickets versus email marketing to tick a box. And one of my favorite examples of how a lot of practitioners are not thinking about their data is the use of face, the way most people use Facebook advertising. Facebook advertising is incredibly powerful. Of course it is, because it's quite expensive. You pay on a cost per click or a cost per thousand basis. So when you build an ad campaign on Facebook and you create your custom audience of, for example, Everybody who says they like my club or like football and live within a 50 mile radius of my stadium, what they should be then doing is using the list upload function and telling Facebook to exclude everybody who's already bought a ticket. But for that to happen, the person posting the Facebook advert is going to have to go to Ticketing and say, give me a list of everybody who's already bought a ticket for this match on Saturday, then import it into, into Business Manager in Facebook. And when they create their custom audience, say, do not show my advert to these people because they've already bought a ticket for this match and I don't want to be paying a cost per thousand or a cost per click for them. So that type of thinking is still absent from our industry. It's still... 
I've got the Facebook budget. I've got to build an ad campaign. Let's get it out. They're not thinking about the broader utilization of what other data around my business, around my club, can help me be more efficient and more effective at this. That comes down to business change. The social media operators, the people who've got to place the social media adverts, are not used to going to the ticketing system and saying, can I get an export of everybody who's bought a ticket? So simply within, a, within any size club that is using a digital ticketing system, most of them are, that is using Facebook advertising for a particular match, the way we can immediately show a quick win, which means get your advertising to work more effectively, is by exporting from your ticketing system and importing into Facebook. Now, in a more future state, when a, when a rights owner is more advanced and has more budget, they might use what we call a marketing automation channel so that that process can either happen within one environment, so they don't have to import and export, and can happen automatically. So there's an automated workflow that takes the data, puts it there, and make sure that when that campaign manager creates the advert, it is going to ensure it doesn't try and sell tickets to people that have already purchased them. So let, let me ask you, I'm, I'm going to ask you at the end, I'm going to, um, and you've kind of probably already covered each one of them in, a, uh, in this conversation. At the end, I want you to give me essential, your essential three, um, <laughs> your, th your three tips, the three things you can go away and do tomorrow if you, if you wanted to, the three things, if, you, if, you, if, if there's a club you wanted to improve, uh, your interaction or your back, you know your bottom line show evidence that you were um, that you were investing or working on the right areas to to grow the business you know the three tips um, there's a couple of great things already there anyway um, but the I'm interested to to um, to to take a look at this because a lot of it is about a lot of it's about the things that I I, I talk about which is Thing, you know which is uh, in terms of the, the football the club itself internal communications um departments talking to each other or not talking to each other um people operating in silos lots of this looks to me like leadership problems quite often that there isn't um and that seems to be one of the major causes of all of this is there's a leadership vacuum and quite often it won't be intentional in my experience, the people I meet are good people, but they're harried um, and they're, 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 you know, they're belting around all the time trying to trying to solve problems and there's no time to stop and think. Is that is that is that generally how it, it... Well, I think I mean, that goes back down. That goes back to certainly in my area. That goes back to the um, three things we've already highlighted, a lack of knowledge and a, and a fear of this area. Um, a lack of time and a focus on, you know, let's face it, Kevin, most rights owners are short term thinkers. They're thinking about winning the trophy. They're thinking about winning the trophy this season or worse still, they're thinking about winning the game this weekend. They're not thinking about the actions they take to ensure they win the game can generate content that can be used at a later date, perhaps next year, next week or next month. So there's the, the lack of knowledge and fear. There's the lack of time and then there's the focus on the short term versus strategy. Look, you know, we've got many, many clever um, business executives working in the sports industry. We've got very we've got many clever junior exec executive work working in the sports industry. It's just a reality that there isn't enough data awareness 
and data skills. And so, can I can I just uh, one more thing before I then get you to just give us your top three? <laughs> and look, if you've got more, please give us more. No, no that's fine. I'll keep it to three. Three's my favourite <laughs> number. I'll keep it to three. But one thing I am uh, one thing I talk about leadership. The one thing that kind of consistently comes up for me uh, is that, and it's and, and it isn't. You know, I'm not making a direct criticism of of uh, of league bodies, you know, of, of the EFL, less so perhaps the Premier League or the capacity of the Premier League. Um, but I've often seen in, in these conversations that I've had with people like yourself that there's a gap here when it comes to education um, that, say, for example, the EFL could really do itself and its clubs a favour if it started to see these areas as areas it needs to educate its clubs in. But of course, one of the major challenges would always be that the clubs want as much of the money from the centre as possible, um, rather than spending it on, on say, capacity building and improving their, their business models. But do you, you know, do you, without, I'm not sure, as I said, I'm not, this isn't an inherent criticism of, uh, I'm not seeking to, 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 to have, a, have a pop at the EFL, because I totally understand the pressures, but I often think that a lot of this could be done by league bodies uh, and, and that if they were given, if the executives in the leagues themselves were given the power to be able to develop support and work with, say, people like yourself or perhaps myself, I'm not pitching for the work, um, to educate clubs and help build their capacity, that actually might help to move the dial a bit quicker. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And um, you and I both met for the UEFA Grow programme and the UEFA Grow programme is actually a fantastic example mm. of that type of environment. OK, UEFA is not a league, it's an, it's an international governing body. Um, but what it did, as you may be aware, UEFA has always and will continue to share revenues. So they make um, they, they give cash grants or make donations or whatever the terminology is to their member associations. But UEFA Grow um, was actually a programme of empowerment and education that developed from, um, I don't know, sharing materials and best practice to actually um, workshops across the continent to bringing in mentors like you and I to help um, the federations learn to actually having us do work for them to get them kick started to sort of help them progress. And interestingly, a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to be part of a UEFA Grow programme that was asking the national associations, what do they actually value more? And really interestingly, the comment, that you know, the dialogue did move from, we don't want the money from UEFA Grow, we want the skills, the knowledge and the expertise. Um, obviously, they still want the money and there'll be a different part of UEFA, their hat-trick funding, their, their, their TV rights distribution, etc., that is responsible for getting the money down to the rights owner, uh, to the national governing bodies. But you're right, it was certainly the view of the um, UEFA's 55 member associations, or most of them, that actually having this support, this education, this leadership, this hands-on approach, um, provided the most value. Obviously, I, I don't know what the Football League does to do to support the education of the clubs. Certainly through our club clients, we can see that they're doing what they can to get the data down to the clubs. But, you know, education skills are always going to be a challenge, which, as I mentioned, it's why we launched our online course a couple of weeks ago, because we just want to try and get the sports industry um, to, 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 you know, get a bit better at this stuff, because we care massively about each and every one of these rights owners out there managing to continue to stay in business um 
what they're going through now with coronavirus is unheard of and how are we going to recover it from it one of my favorite discussions about coronavirus and and this is of course for those rights owners that are a bit more advanced you know many of the rights owners that are using crm and data will have built models what we call models for to understand the behavior of their fans and how they purchase tickets and that allows us to do things like um, propensity modeling to identify those fans that are most likely to buy again to come back etc well all those models that we might have spent years developing based on historic ticketing data can be pretty much thrown out the window because what the coronavirus has done to the fans we won't know until we start letting them back in the stadium en masse people's priorities might have changed People's ability to go to a match might have changed through the health impact or the financial impact. You know, we've got no idea. And that, to me, is what I'm going to find most fascinating. All this experience we have gathered, used over the last few years to build those models that help us sell tickets, for example, or increase participation. What are they going to look like as we go through our next um, 10 years post-coronavirus? Long answer to a short question there. Sorry. No, 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 no. You know, you're here to take to, to to give people the benefit of your expertise, and if you want to answer the question in five minutes or five seconds, that's entirely up to you. You're, um, and I'm glad you covered the. I didn't want to major too much on this rotten health crisis we've got because every single conversation you have touches on it, but that's what happened. So I'm glad you covered that too. It meant I didn't have to ask ask the question I was going to ask. So um, the two more things. I want to finish with your three top tips, as it were. Yeah. But just tell people about your book because it, it's um, it's it's something that um, that that I've seen advertised in a lot of places. Do you want to just quickly explain where people can get it from? And yes, yeah, so, well, actually, we don't really want them as of December the sixth. We don't really want them buying it now because Routledge, our publishers, gave us an opportunity to 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 republish it. So there's a second edition coming out in March, and it's it's going to have more words and it's going to be updated, of course. But our book, Winning with Data, CRM and Analytics in the Business of Sports, has been distributed by Routledge. So you can buy it from any online bookstore. Um, but there is a new version coming out in March. If any rights owner or anybody listening to this podcast wants to reach out to me via Kevin, we actually have a supply, a limited supply of some of the old edition, which was um, published in uh, 2018. And we'll gladly send it to them for free because... We never, we never wrote the book as a way of generating revenue. We wrote the book as a way of, of educating our industry because it is so important, as I mentioned, that more people understand it. Thanks for giving a plug for the book. Uh, but what I will also mention again is the book now has an online course to partner it, not to partner it, but what, what we teach you in the book is about the principles and we use case studies. What we teach you about in the course is the same principles, but through a different learning method. And most importantly, we, we give you exercises where you actually have to use some of this software so you can figure out how to do it yourself. Okay, so on to my three points, Kevin, because I know them straight away because of them what I talk about all the time. Whatever stage you're at, Mr. Rights owner or individual or, or whoever's listening to this, Whatever stage you're at, if you're using targeted marketing, great. Look for the next channel that you can use because we've got multiple channels. If you're not using it, start using email marketing. If you're already collecting data, start thinking about the additional data points you can start collecting. If you're 
not collecting data, just put a data collection form on your website and ask people to leave their information with you. Start talking to your ticketing partners about how you can get that valuable transactional data. And if you're already analyzing data, look for more forms of analysis you can do, regression analysis, predictive analytics, all types of modeling you can do. If you're not already analyzing data, just start with the basics. Look at your email campaign um, metrics, look at your Facebook metrics. The point is, if you're doing nothing, start doing it. If you're already doing it, look at how you can make further progress. So those are my three areas.